Welcome to the Boiler Room, an arena podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Santiago. And I'm Julia. Santiago, what are we talking about today? We are talking about managing people and in the context of the final days before an election. I really cannot believe that we are into the team of the countdown before the election. There's a lot going on. And honestly, Santiago, this is a topic that I have been so excited for us to cover. Since we started the podcast, I'm a huge management nerd. I just think it's a really, you know, to me, management is about relationships and about mentoring. And I think those are really important topics. So I have a lot of thoughts about our topic for today. But I also know that you, Santiago, are a fabulous manager. Um, and you also managed a big team in North Carolina in 2012. And so I just want to ask, you know, what are some of your thoughts on what managers should be thinking about or focusing on in this final stretch? Yeah, I mean, I, this is something we've we've had on the calendar to make sure that we touch on just because like campaigns are really, really tough in the final days. Um, you're exhausted. You are, you know, maybe you're, you got some calendar somewhere where you're really counting down the days and you could tell us like exactly how much time is left between now and election day. And like the job of a manager just becomes much more difficult because you have established relationships with the people that you're managing, you know, their strengths and weaknesses. And all of that can be in conflict with what do you have to do next? Uh, like, what do you need to accomplish today as people are voting? Like, this is all happening. And so I feel like I don't necessarily have like thoughts on what managers should be thinking about, but I think about like, what are those different challenges that you might be up against right now? It's like, strikes me that, you know, uh, I did some volunteering this weekend and I know it's a big day of action. And so you might be coming out and saying like, okay, what do we need to do? What do, you know, bringing the team back together, what do we need to adjust for next weekend when we know we're going to have a big influx of either volunteers or we just have a lot of voter contact that we need to be doing, you know, and so there's that reassessment, maybe reassigning people or making adjustments based off of what you've learned over the past weekend. Um, you know, there might be, uh, again, you got that countdown, that uh, that anxiousness for this all to be over and daunted by what comes after this, you know, and there there also might be those challenges with respect to your team. And like, how are you going to keep motivating this team in a really challenging and difficult time, both breaking news every single day, um, but also with news that's personal and can make it hard to, to do this work. And so those are some of the things that I think about in terms of what, you know, if I try to put myself in the shoes of a manager and thinking about how how I do think it's a strength of mine that, I, that I'm good at managing, but even for an experienced manager, like I sometimes I'm like, what would I do if I was you know, uh, running a team on a campaign right now. And I don't envy anybody in this, in this position. Yeah. I feel so much of what you said that there's just like so much going on and so many emotions that happen in this final stretch. And, you know, I think there's a lot of feelings of both expansion and contraction, particularly for managers, expansion in the sense of wanting to take care of your team, wanting to make sure that everyone is doing all well, all right. And then also, you know, contraction of like, you have to take care of yourself and, and there's certain things that you need to do personally to be able to, to get through this final stretch. And that might be because, you know, you feel the stakes incredibly personally, right? Because the outcome of this election might affect you and your family in really real ways. Or, you know, we think about as well, just staying healthy, getting enough sleep, enough exercise, which is always different for each person, right? And so you know, what are the different things that you have to do to take care of yourself at the same time as taking care of your team and making sure everyone is sort of operating in an efficient and healthy way, which is no small task, Santiago. 
<laughs> yeah, and we've been talking a lot about the sustaining of this work that continues because if you are counting down the days until this election, you know, one of the challenging things is knowing that the work is going to continue beyond this, you know, and campaigns can become singularly focused on election day. That's their goal. You have to win. You want to win. I think, you know, and that's the prevalent culture in campaigns. So how do you, if you are a manager who is, who wants to run a different kind of campaign, um, who your values are, your people, and wanting to make sure that, that they're growing and that they have a good experience and that they can continue this work, how do you incorporate that into your, into your goals between now and election day? You know, so, you know, you as a manager, it's also just, you know, making sure that those people have an opportunity to, to give it their all in these final days and make sure that they, they also can, can, you know, hopefully continue the work. Yeah. Well, Santiago, I resonate with that so, so strongly. And I honestly think, you know, you're going to have a conversation with the most wonderful Ashley Pinedo Carlson, who is a trainer with the management center and just an absolutely all around badass as far as, you know, managing people and creating awesome teams. Uh, so I'm super excited for that conversation. And we're going to get into some practical things during that conversation as well. But, you know, I think one of the things that, that comes up for me with what you just said is there's so many things that are happening in the final stretch. At the same time, there's also a lot of things you have to learn to let go of, right? Because you're not going to change someone's behavior in the last 14 days if it's been an issue, you know, throughout the six months uh, that they've been on your team. And you're not going to all of a sudden, you know, make these reports come in on time when they've chronically been not coming in on time or there's been something wrong with them. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to just sort of let go. You kind of have to say, okay, this is just the way that it's going to be. And I'm going to accept that. And acceptance is really hard. So not to say that it's easy. But instead, you know, let's focus on the things that we do have under our control. And, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot is just, I want the people who I manage to want to continue this work after the election. And that is something, you know, I can't totally control that in all honesty, because you can't control someone else's wants and desires. But at the same time, what I can control is that, you know, you have the best experience and you come out of this cycle with feelings of joy, of inspiration, of determination, of grit to continue to do this work. And I think that as a manager, that's a really awesome thing to focus on. And I want to say, like, focus on it for yourself as well as for your team, right? Like, yeah. you need to come out of this fight also feeling as though you can fight another day. You know, don't worry. It can be weeks from now. It can be months from now. It can be a while from now. But don't burn yourself out. Don't burn your team out. You know, think about what it is that you can do for yourself and for your staff to make sure that on November 4th, November 5th, you know, January 1st, 2021, they are still committed and interested in doing this work. You know, it's also like kind of an expectations game of like, you know, there are important things to get done. And Ashley and I talk about this at length, but you know, it's like, there's like the 2020 uh, version of, of what we need to do and, you know, how we accomplish it versus maybe how 
we did it in 2019, 2018. And it's just a, a totally different environment. And that's not to give excuse for anybody or cover, but you know, it's just the reality of all of the things that we need to, to accomplish between now and, and election day. Totally. Well, Santiago, I am so excited to hear this conversation with you and Ashley. And, you know, I just want to say good luck to everyone who's out there in the field on campaigns doing this work right now. Managers in particular, you all are carrying, you know, not only your own expectations and your own sort of burden, but you also, I know, will end up carrying part of that for your team. And so I just want to say be good to yourself. Give yourself the time, the energy, the love uh, that you need in order to show up for your team, for yourself, for your family, for all the reasons why you're doing this work. And just want to say thank you and express so much gratitude to all of our managers and all of our staffers out there in these, these last couple of weeks. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you for those words of encouragement, Julia. And I think we will see what Ashley Pinedo Carlson has to say. As Julia mentioned, we are fortunate enough to talk to Ashley Pinedo Carlson for this episode. Currently, Ashley works for the Management Center, which is the go-to resource for effective management for social change organizations. Ashley has been instrumental in helping ARENA bring the Management Center's curriculum to our very own ARENA Academies. Before joining the Management Center, Ashley spent eight years training, managing, and organizing in support of President Obama's agenda. Starting out as a volunteer organizer, she rose to the ranks to serve as the National Training Director at Organizing for Action, which is actually where I met Ashley back in 2009. I had the joy of working alongside Ashley as she was the field director when I got my very first job as a data director for OFA in Arizona. Ashley is a world-class trainer, coach, and organizer. She's someone who I've learned so much from and continue to learn from. Here's my interview with Ashley. Ashley Pinedo, welcome. I'm so excited. Me too. I've been looking forward to this for um, a week, week or so now, but like I'm excited that I get a chance to talk to you. Ashley, uh, for everybody listening, tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. What are you doing? Yeah, um, it's great to be talking with all of you um, wonderful campaigners. I work at the Management Action Center. We do management training and consulting for progressive organizations. Um, and one of my specialties is on management inside political campaigns. So um, I've been super excited to partner with the ARENA folks over the last few years. Um, to bring management skills and tools to all of you. I got my start as an unpaid intern on the Obama campaign in 2008. So um, I, I was inspired to fill out an application and join the team. I didn't really know what it would mean. I thought politics was people walking fast and quipping really cleverly, like on the West Wing. I didn't, I didn't know at all what I was getting into, and I was hooked. So I ended up staying on full-time uh, for the 08 campaign. Then I went to work for Organizing for America, which is where I met you, Santiago. Now, what, 10 years ago? Yeah. Um, 10 plus years ago, where we worked on passing President Obama's agenda. Then I did the re-election campaign. I just was basically a lifer um, with the Obama movement and made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot about management along the way. And, you know, one of the reasons I was excited um, to come to the Management Action Center and why I'm excited to talk with all of you is because in politics, most of us get started in management the same way, which is 
you get good at a thing and then suddenly someone decides you should manage other people to do that thing. So I got pretty good at organizing and was suddenly charged with managing an organizing team. And it's kind of like getting thrown into the deep end of the pool. And if you're lucky, you have a manager who has shown you how to be a good manager. But if you're not so lucky, you don't have that. And in fact, you might inherit some really bad habits. So um, we're excited to just kind of provide a little bit more of a playbook and give folks the skills you need, or at least some kind of floaty flotation device to help you when you get into that deep end of the pool. Yeah. And I think that's been a really important thing in partnership with you, Ashley, and the Management Action Center at Arena is just making sure that everybody, you know, whatever role that they're working in has the opportunity to become a better manager, understand what those are, even if they're not in a management role right now. And so when we were sitting down, Julia and I were talking about what it means to manage in the final days of a campaign, like you were the first person that popped to mind. So we were like, you know, we got to get Ashley to, to talk about this. And so I think we'd be missing an important opportunity if we didn't also acknowledge like, this is just a crazy time to manage people. Like the yeah. end of a campaign is already like hard enough to manage people. You're tired. I don't know what tips or things that you just want to make sure people are thinking about as they are like managing in this particular moment, you know, while also being in the run-up to an election. Yeah, this moment, a moment when we're, what, we're in month seven, eight of a global pandemic. What is time? Yeah, I'm trying to do the, carry the one. That is, that is disproportionately impacting and killing black and brown folks. We're seeing, we're not seeing new systemic racism or police brutality, but it is, um, we're in a moment where the country is taking more notice and we're seeing a huge uprising in response to that. Um, a lot of leaders and organizations um, really rising up and saying, we're going to do something about this. And, you know, on top of that, we have some fears being planted in our minds about can we really, does our democracy really work? Uh, yeah. If we do everything right this election, I think there's, you know, our current president is giving us a lot of reason to wonder if doing everything right is still going to lead to a, a true and honest election and transition of power, which can be really scary and in my case, infuriating. And so it's a heavy, it's a heavy backdrop. And I think, you know, I have some tips on managing in this time, but I also want to start by just sharing my, when I think about managing in a political campaign, I just want to share sort of my philosophy of how I think about it, which might differ from sort of traditional campaigns past, which is, I think it's important to acknowledge that every election, it's just one step on the way to making the change we want to see in the world. But it's not the only step and it doesn't end there. So we need to elect leaders that we think are going to best represent us. But then we need to lobby our elected leaders to make the policies that advance our values. We need to bring people into the movement for the long term so that we have the power we need to keep winning elections and to keep advancing policy. So when I think about management, I think a lot of traditional campaign managers have a very tunnel vision. I don't blame them, by the way. (laughs) Win at all costs. My job is to win to get this candidate elected. And I try to think of it a little bit more broadly as, yes, my job is to win right now, but it's also my job to win in a way that builds capacity to win the fights of tomorrow. So I think a lot of what I'll share sort of implies that mindset that it's not just about winning right now, it's about winning while keeping an eye on the future. I think that's so important. And you mentioned that tunnel vision. And I think in past campaigns, like in prior election years, it's really easy as a manager to just say, you got 30 days, 
this is what you focus on and like block out every single distraction. And, you know, some of these things are not just distractions. They are like things that are hurting staff or volunteers. And like, if you don't do it in the right way, you can't acknowledge those things and also can't build that capacity for what comes next. And I, I like the, the kind of the two-step approach and acknowledging that there's going to be more work to do. Yeah. But so in this moment, I would say that there are four things to keep in mind when it comes to managing during really hard times like this. So the first may sound obvious, but it's just to acknowledge what's happening. The last thing you want to do is try to carry on as if it's business as usual. And I think a lot of managers do carry on as if it's business as usual because they don't know what to say, especially when the things that are happening feel really outside of our control. But the worst thing you can do is say nothing. To say nothing is to send a message to your team, again, implied, but very clear that Whatever they're going through, by virtue of being humans, they need to set that aside, they need to power through, they need to stay professional, I'm using air quotes, they need to put their heads down and keep working, right? When we say nothing, we make it not permissible for people to bring their full humanity to the job and to the team. And that's especially suffocating for Black folks, Indigenous folks, people of color, uh, or anyone from a group that's being targeted by this systemic oppression or these individual acts that we see. So say something, acknowledge what's happening, be specific. I would even say, don't just say, with everything going on in the world right now, don't use that as your shorthand. Like, take some time to acknowledge what is actually happening. And you know, we're in kind of, there's like two types of trauma right now. There's this steady state of trauma that we're all in because we have been dealing with this global health crisis for so long, and because we've been dealing with systemic racism for so long, and then there are moments these moments where the latest Black person to become a victim of police brutality and racist state-sanctioned violence, we learn that person's name. It gets onto the national radar. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Dominique Remy Fells, George Floyd. And that's just some of the names this year. And we know this isn't new. And we know there are thousands of names that we don't even know. But every time we learn one of these names, or we learned that nothing even nearly resembling justice was served, those are such difficult moments. And they land differently with everyone on your team. And so yeah. we have to acknowledge the moments. We can't become numb to them. Uh, becoming numb is a coping mechanism, but as a leader, it's our job to make it permissible for people to be human yeah. and to just acknowledge what's happening. Even if you don't know the perfect words to say, it's better than to say nothing. I think that's the first one. And it's sort of like a baseline that is going to be needed in order to do any of the other sort of strong management tools we might suggest. I think that's huge. And like, again, acknowledging that moment, what is happening, naming it is just really important because like, it's just, there's a lot of heartbreak and it just keeps happening. And then yeah. You know, when the when there is no justice served or any accountability, like yeah. it just keeps happening over and over again. So with a baseline of acknowledging it, my second tip is to take care of your people. This is another one that I don't think we as campaign managers are traditionally taught is of value. Like what matters is your numbers, like how many doors, how many phone calls, but it's people who need to make those things happen. And so I would say, make sure you're checking in regularly with your team, whether it's staff or volunteers, um, the people who are playing key roles on, in your campaign, 
Check in regularly, one-on-one, connect with them as humans. Ask them, you know, again, acknowledging what's happening, ask them what kind of support they might need and share options. So, you know, that instead of like, hey, what can I do to support you? I might suggest something like, hey, would it help to take a day off this Friday? Um, Because we're talking about how tough things are right now. Um, It might look like, how are you taking care of yourself? Have you drunk enough water today? I just set a goal. I'm trying to drink a gallon of water a day right now because I realize it makes such a difference. But, you know, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Have you been making time to eat food that you like and that is healthy, right? Like, um, just sort of showing that you care about people caring for themselves and that you're there to care for them. The third thing I would say is prioritize. Um, And I would say in this moment, radically prioritize and deprioritize. Because I think right now with this moment that we're in, everyone's bandwidth is down a little bit. Like your bandwidth might just be down because of the emotional and mental drain of what's happening, or your bandwidth might be down because you have caregiving responsibilities and you don't have a school to send your kid to, right? So what we might produce in a typical day in optimal conditions when we're at our best is not anywhere near realistic now. So I would acknowledge that and then help folks on your team think through what is most important um, so that you can focus on that. So for example, you might have identified like, okay, going into GOTV, we have three priorities, like number one, contacting voters on the phone, number two, fundraising for all that voter contact we need to do, and number three, figuring out how we're going to spend that money we raise strategically so that we're not just wasting it on extras because we need to spend it fast. Once you've established that, talk about those priorities with your team. Help everyone on your team deprioritize whatever doesn't help with those. And when I think about deprioritizing, that could be one of my favorite things in 2020 is a not-do list. So it's like, these are the things I am explicitly giving myself permission not to do. I'm just putting them on this list, and I'm going to set them aside because they don't fit with our very ruthless short list of priorities. But the other way you could deprioritize is to think about gold star versus good enough. So is there stuff that folks you would normally expect them to do a lot of work on to get them to the A plus level? Like, would you accept a C plus in this case? Like what's the good enough version? So for example, you might have a phone bank captain and uh, you might have really high standards for how they train their phone bankers. You want them to make a PowerPoint. You want them to have a really detailed agenda that you give like three rounds of feedback on. You watch them practice. They create this really nice one pager for their volunteers. Like that's great in standard times where folks are at optimal. But this time maybe your good enough version is like, okay, make a one pager for volunteers sit down with your volunteers, talk through the one pager, and then do a role play, right? It doesn't have to be fancy. What's, what can you do to just get the job done? So I think deprioritizing, I think it's something that's really hard for a lot of us who are maybe perfectionists or teacher's pets. That's, those are two self-ascribed labels. But if we are to keep our eye on the prize, we've got to make sure that we are really cutting down on spending any time, energy, capacity on things that are not our number one priorities. Yeah, I think that's huge. And especially the GOTV kind of pivot and moment is also like you kind of reassess like okay what's realistic and like I think in a normal GOTV you're like all right our assumptions for how many calls get done in a shift like you raise those like you know most of the stuff is like you're cranking it up um and actually this might be a unique place where that's not either not happening or it's might maybe going lower and you're trying to recruit more people to try to do more things because people just can't accomplish what they used to. 
Yeah. Or you might crank one thing way up, but then you've yeah. got some other things way down. Yeah. I have one more tip on this. That's that right. I, I can't miss, which is, you know, this moment is also helping us to see how we might in our campaigns and organizations be perpetuating the oppressions that we see in the broader world. Like we probably have inequities in our campaigns. And I'll say no matter who you are, you are capable of perpetuating inequities, even if it's unintentional. And that's because we live inside this machine of systemic racism. And it's the machine is so powerful that if we pretend it doesn't exist, we will actually perpetuate it. You can't be doing neutral. You're either perpetuating or disrupting that machine. And so, you know, for me, as a woman of color, half Mexican, half white, I perpetuate it too, and I have perpetuated it too. So my fourth tip is to really do some reflection and figure out what are the inequities that might exist in your campaign that you have the power to disrupt and turn around. And so I will not try to claim that it's simple, but I did think about three sort of common inequities that campaigns often bring up. So one is are you placing people of color on your campaign in harm's way without support? So, you know, when you think about folks who are working campaigns, especially the folks who are doing voter contact, that's just like being a frontline worker. That's like doing retail or food service. You are running into and interacting with a, a wide array of people from the community. And if you are managing, for example, people of color in a predominantly white community, they're likely facing and, and dealing with and having to weather racist encounters. And so, you know, as an example, I'll never forget one of my first canvases. I basically assigned canvassers out to neighborhoods, totally at random. Looking back, I now know I was being completely colorblind. And I had two young black men who were volunteering for the first time with me. And they came back after less than an hour into their shift, because they had gone into a super rich white conservative neighborhood and had the police called on them. And my lesson from that moment was I was running my canvases by running my canvas in a colorblind way that didn't really anticipate or account for that kind of thing. I was putting black volunteers in danger. And so I started to think about how to do things differently to prevent that. So I think that's the first one is just, are you putting marginalized folks, not just people of color, yeah. uh, queer and trans folks, people with disabilities, are you putting people in harm's way without support? That's the first thing that I would reflect on. Yeah. Um, the second thing would be hiring or how you build your team. It might even might not just be hiring staff, but how you build your volunteer team. How are you recruiting people into those roles? How are you judging who's the right fit for the job? I think when we rush hiring, we judge based on our gut, which is riddled with bias. So have you actually thought about what are the needs of the job? And does this person meet those needs or bring the skills that are needed? Um, so if you're rushing your hiring or if you're doing it by recruiting from your friends or friends of friends, there could be some opportunities there to um, do things in a way that leads to more equity. And then uh, the last one I would say is, are you making an effort? This goes back to winning today while building tomorrow. Are you making an effort to develop the skills and leadership of the folks working on your campaign? Are you taking the time to learn what folks want to get out of the experience and helping them achieve those goals. Um, I think we have a long history in campaigns of people of color having really bad experiences and not coming back. 
And so are you doing what you can to try to retain people in this movement, um, prepare them to be the next you on the next cycle um, and keep them ready to come back? So I think the basics of the job are a lot. And this moment really calls for us to reflect on whether we're perpetuating these inequities that are out in the broader world in ways that we might be able to counteract that. Yeah, and I think again, like that reflection, how you are an actor in the space, how you reflect on that, like again, hopefully this is a cycle where, you know, this is a hope of, you know, ARENA and the academies that we're doing, like we're trying to change what campaigns look like. And like one of my biggest fears is, you know, people having those bad experiences and then, you know, leaving and then we're right back to where we started it from, you know? And so it's like, yeah. again, it's kind of continually building on it. And so I think those are, those are all fantastic tips. So thank you for sharing those with us. In terms of like GOTV proper, there are a few things that I think you, you, you touched on. And this is maybe a longer GOTV now than we've ever had before, but like there's a lot of restructuring and like kind of reassessing of what happens in GOTV. And so, there's a lot of that that's tied to this moment, the pandemic, what our real capacity is, but what are the things people should be thinking about as they're starting to restructure or deprioritize what they're, they're doing, as you mentioned earlier? Yeah, totally. So I would say GOTV, it's a whole world. I like how you call it GOTV proper. It is its own thing, right? And so I think the first thing you need to do is figure out a clear structure of roles and goals for GOTV. That means, you know, you might have a team of volunteers who've all been doing a bunch of stuff, or maybe everyone's doing a little bit of everything. But for GOTV, you want to make sure that you have a team of people with clear roles, clear responsibilities, and you're delegating real responsibility. You're not just delegating tasks, but you're giving people really meaningful, high stakes responsibilities whether they're staff or consultants or volunteers, but you need more people than you to have real responsibilities that they own. Uh, otherwise, you'll never have enough bandwidth to get everything done. So when I think about structure, I think about three things. So first is what roles do you need to fill? So you might decide you're gonna run a virtual staging location. You probably need like a virtual staging location director who's in charge of the whole thing. They report up to you. They make sure there's enough volunteers every day. They're confirming all of that stuff. You probably need separate from that director. You might need some trainers who are training volunteers as they arrive, getting them ready, getting them on the phones. Because hopefully you'll have that influx of volunteers. You might have been calling volunteers since back in January and they've been saying maybe someday, like now is Sunday. So you're probably gonna have more volunteers than you're used to, they're gonna need training. And then you probably need a data captain to keep the dialer loaded, make sure that the calls that you're making are targeted calls to targeted voters. And so, you might want to have that, let's say you have early voting for two weeks, you might want to have every day a virtual staging location that's open and has all those roles filled. But it might be hard to have one staging location captain who can commit to that full two weeks yeah. and one data captain. So you might need a few people in each role. So that's just an example of thinking through like the different roles that you need and who takes on what so that they can divide up the work and you have enough folks to do it. Um, that is sustainable. The second thing I think about is what is the definition of success for each role? So you can't hide the ball on that. Like, again, even if you're managing volunteers, I think a lot of folks feel like, oh, this person's volunteering, so I'm just glad they're here. Like, I'm not gonna ask too much of them. I'm not gonna put too much on them. I don't wanna put extra pressure on them, but they're volunteering because they want to see this candidate win. 
And so let them know what success looks like. Is that a certain number of volunteers who are present every day? Is that a certain contact rate? Set ambitious goals for them and with them so that they have something to drive for. That's going to increase that sense of ownership that we talked about, where folks really feel like I'm on the hook for delivering this. I'm a leader on this campaign. I'm not just somebody carrying out this task. Um, so whatever you have in your head about what success looks like, make sure you talk about it with the people taking on these leadership roles. And then the last thing I would say is like hiring. Figure out what are the skills and qualities that somebody needs to have in order to fill that role and make sure they have those skills and qualities before you assign them the, 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 the title or the responsibility. So, you know, when I came up in organizing, we talked a lot about testing. Like how do you test someone to be a phone bank captain before that you actually put them in that position. So look for, identify what the skills are, look for people who have those skills and help them shore up those skills if they don't already have them. So that's, those are sort of the big things on structure. It's just like, what are the roles? What does success look like in these roles? Make sure you're super clear on that. And then make sure you know what you need in the people filling those roles before you put them in there. Otherwise, you might find yourself later realizing that the role and the person are not the right fit. Um, not to mean the person isn't talented or skilled, but just maybe not for that job. Yeah. And especially like that clear communication to that person that like you've given them the ownership. They know that you're counting on them. Like that's huge. And I've always seen, you know, I've seen that and I've done that myself where I've, you know, when I was an organizer, you know, where I didn't clearly communicate that, that's when, I ended up having holes that I had to plug in and fill and problem solving for that during GOTVs yeah. is yeah. also stressful. So, And can I say something about that too? Because that yeah. actually gets to something else. You know, I've talked about, here's how you do a structure. Roles, what does success look like? Test people. But guess what? Your structure probably won't be perfect. Um, and I think what's really important there is having strong relationships going in with the people you have in these roles. Like, these are your ride or die people. And they're probably ride or die people to one another, right? They've, yeah. they've worked together. They've been in it. You have a common mission. You're all trying to achieve the same thing. And there's going to be stuff that comes up that you didn't plan for. So maybe you thought you needed, you know, 10 phone bank captains and five poll watchers. And now you start to learn like, oh, there's actually more than 10 precincts that we think there's going to be shenanigans at. So we need more than 10 poll watchers. Well, when you have good relationships with people and they know that you are thinking about them and you're considerate of them and you're aware of their skills, when you ask people to make that shift or to help you recruit people to fill those roles and say, I know I prepared you for phone bank captain, but can you do this thing instead? Having those solid relationships are going to make that easier. Um, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and she said, when your structure falls short, your relationships will hold things together. Um, and I think that's so important going into uh, an election day that's it's I try not to be hyperbolic, but we've never seen an election day like this. We've never done election day yeah. in the conditions that we're in right now. So it, not everything's going to be perfect, but when you have relationships to fall back on, that'll be your safety net. Yeah. And that I think pivots into one of the last things I want to talk through is like, what do you, how do you prepare for worst case scenarios? And as we were talking about this, I realized like that list is a lot bigger um, and probably, I don't, I don't know that I have the exhaustive list, but like, you know, as I was thinking about worst case scenarios, I was thinking about like, what if I, as the organizer or campaign manager gets sick, or what if someone has a family emergency? Like those are the kinds of things that I'm thinking about. But as we're discussing this, I'm thinking, you know, with, 
different shenanigans that people might try to pull. Like that list is big, but if you can try to help us focus. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think the things you named are I, that if something goes wrong, like it's probably going to be in that vein where like someone can't do the job that you thought they were going to do. They can't show yeah. up. They're sick. You're sick. Something happens. And so my advice is going to sound dire, but I am a huge follower of the hit by a bus rule, which is basically you want to make sure that you have shared, there's enough skill sharing and information sharing happening on your campaign so that if any one person gets hit by a bus, or my friend Megan put it more positively, if they win the lottery and decide not to do any of this stuff anymore, someone else can step in and pick up that work, right? So part of it is information, just like, okay, like, where's your campaign plan? <laughs> Who has access to that plan if you get hit by a bus and you and they need to figure out how to execute the rest of the plan. Or if it's a phone bank captain, like, you know, are they keeping a list of who's scheduled for what shift in a place where other people can find it? It's yeah. really just as simple as like, is there a blueprint somewhere that someone else can pick up in order to take on somebody else's work unexpectedly? Um, but I think the bigger part of it is training and cross training. So, you know, don't hoard skills. <laughs> um, teach people how to do the stuff that you're good at. Um, and encourage people to teach each other. And it's not just smart for contingency planning, it's also that investment in the future. Like you're training the next you, the next person who could have your role next cycle. So I'd recommend just looking for opportunities to, you know, um, share the wealth, spread the skills, like pull aside. You might have um, someone who's shown a real interest in learning how to manage a budget. So pull them aside and show them how you think about it. Show them the decisions that you make. Talk them through how you make those decisions. Um, just look for ways. It doesn't, you don't have to press pause on everything and do a formal training, but there are ways for, to learn by doing and to give people sort of low stakes projects and stretch assignments that help them learn more so that if and when the time comes when they need to step in, they could do it in a pinch. So I think that's the scenario that I think is probably most important to plan for. And I think when you have a plan for that, I think that'll also help you in other scenarios. So in the example you said, like, if there's more shenanigans going on that you didn't expect, like, you're going to have more people power by virtue of cross-training. Um, yeah. You're going to have more flexibility. You're going to have more folks to choose from to say, hey, can you go do this new job that I totally did not anticipate I'd need done? It's going to help you to have that skills and information sitting with a variety of people. And then, like, I think the last thing, and I feel like we could probably go on for days on this topic. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and you're just like, you know, you're a wealth of knowledge anyway. So, like, we'll, we'll probably have you on other episodes to talk about this stuff. But you mentioned, you know, kind of in those tips in terms of, like, how we manage this moment. But 2020, for anybody at all levels, whether they're a campaign manager, whether they're an organizer, whether they are the candidate themselves, is like what advice do you have for people on campaigns to just show up as them as their best selves as best they can it's like now in 2020 like in this final lead up how do they mentally prepare themselves for this final stretch i would say just look for joy like and look for fun do everything you can it's tough times and we're doing really hard work but there's also fun to be had in the work. So it's okay to find joy in little things and to have fun with your work. When I think about GOTV, the context was different, but when I think about my past experiences on GOTV, I think I was working really hard. 
I was running on adrenaline and I was having a lot of fun. The memories I have are like listening to music while assembling hundreds of clipboards with my coworkers after hours, right? Or um, singing karaoke after we finished data entry in the field office. You know, that's your team. Those are your people. And so I think finding ways to just have fun, infuse fun into the work as much as possible, fun and joy, because you like you will be running on fumes and that fun and that joy like that. Those are the fumes that are going to sustain you through it. Um, So I would say just look for ways to have fun. Also, sleep all you can while you can and drink lots of water. Great advice. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and um, just helping us all prepare for this this crazy GOTV. So thank you so much again. And we'd love to have you on again. And I think there's so much more for us to dig in and talk about, but thank you. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this and, and for letting me be part of it. Ashley Pinedo Carlson, everyone. Well, that does it for this episode of The Boiler Room. Remember to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Arena Summit. Like us on Facebook. You can find resources mentioned uh, on this podcast in our Arena Toolbox at arena.run slash toolbox. The tools mentioned by Ashley in this podcast can also be found in the tools from our friends section down at the bottom. If you're listening to this before the 2020 election or maybe sometime in the future before your own big election and you're feeling that weight of managing a team just remember why this work is important to you and remember to give your team space to do that as well for my co-host julia leitner i'm santiago martinez see you next time